TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. And welcome back to our number two of Hardline. Brenda Alacy on board and Joe Beamer is with us as well as my co-host. And it's a pleasure to honor the new Bishop-elect of Buffalo, Bishop Michael William Fisher to our airwaves. Good morning, Bishop. Thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, good morning and blessings. Yes, thank you, uh, Bishop. And uh, you're going from the land of crab cakes to chicken wings. Are you uh, looking forward to your your new stint in Buffalo? I am very much so. Uh, I've lived my uh, whole life down here in this area. My mother was Washingtonian. My father, a Baltimorean. We certainly grew up with with uh, crab cakes and oysters and. But uh, I, I, I also love those chicken wings, so I look forward to, to being a part of, uh, of, of the Buffalo family up there. Bishop, uh, it always fascinates me how the Vatican decides to place bishops in certain dioceses. And I was wondering uh, what the process was like for you. When did you become aware of the fact that you'd be named the new bishop starting in mid-January? And how were you informed of that? Well, the fact that... The process is fascinating to me, too. Uh, I didn't find out uh, until the second day of the bishops' conference, which wasn't that long ago. Uh, I, I had no idea. It came, for me, it came out of the blue. I was, like everyone else, I was, we've been in lockdown because of the, uh, the COVID, uh, the pandemic restrictions. Back here in Maryland, I'm in a very uh, uh, COVID-intense area. And uh, so I was in my rectory. I was uh, preparing for a Zoom conference the second day of the the, uh, bis- the bishops meet twice a year, uh, usually in Baltimore or in maybe another uh, another city. But in in because of our uh, our situation with the the pandemic, uh, our meetings were Zoom uh, by Zoom and uh, on the computer. So I was sitting in my at my desk uh, waiting. To get on to to our meetings for the day, and then I, I uh, received a phone call from uh, Archbishop Pierre, who who I picked it up. Usually, when you get a, a call from Archbishop Pierre, you know something's coming, and mm-hmm. that, that he he asked me if I had been if I was seated, and I said yes, and uh, he, he he laughed. He said a comfortable chair, and I said I think so, and he uh, then he he said that the Holy Father had uh, named me the new bishop of Buffalo. And uh, a little bit of a pause. I, 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 again, I was a little little surprised. And then he, uh, uh, he said, do you accept? And I said, absolutely. And he said, okay, wonderful. 
and then said that I, I would probably be contacted by Bishop Scharfenberger Char- uh, about the uh, the details of the uh, of the appointment. So uh, he, um, it, we ended it there. So uh, that's all that I really. It was a very very short, more of a sort of a courtesy call, letting me know, and um, uh, we went from there. Bishop Mike, uh, you, you uh, will. You're scheduled to take over January fifteenth, twenty twenty one. What are your plans to getting to Buffalo, and how have your conversations with Bishop Ed gone so far? Uh, well, uh, again, uh, Bishop Ed has been wonderful. I know he is doing some yeoman work up there, and uh, I, I don't know how he's doing it uh, between uh, taking care of his diocese there in Albany as well as the good people of, of Buffalo. Uh, but uh, we, we've been in, in pretty constant uh, communication with one another. They're usually very short conversations because uh, he, he's like myself. We're kind of running from one Zoom call to the other. I'm still involved, certainly, in my duties down here in the Archdiocese of Washington. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I, hope, uh, I hope to get up there about a, a week before the installation. Uh, so that I can at least get my feet on the ground. I know I will have to uh, uh, quarantine a little bit. I, I understand that they're, uh, you're in the same, certainly, situation that we are down here, where we, we are uh, trying to, to keep people safe. So I'll have to travel and uh, do all the things that, that we need to do to, uh, to, to keep, keep safe and, and to, to be able to function once I get up there. Uh, Bishop, you're you're coming to Buffalo at a time where the diocese is uh, seeing a few challenges. We had Kevin Hardwick on last uh, segment talking about parishes closing, the consolidation of parishes. Um, is that something you're you're prepared to take over, and is that something you've had to oversee as your time as auxiliary bishop? Well, as auxiliary bishop, and then my my uh, capacity as uh, vicar for clergy. I've had to get to know certainly all of our priests, but also at the same time to know all of our parishes. I always find that every parish, though there are similarities, have, have their own personality. They have their own history and, and, and culture, and, and, and those need to be respected and, 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 and celebrated. Uh, also, our, our pastors, they come with their own gifts, their own uh, their own failings, uh, as well as their their uh, their styles of leadership. So, in in some ways, I, I I've had to uh, uh, be a matchmaker in a sense to make sure that those are are looked at. But I, I think coming into the diocese, that those would be certainly a priority for me to to get to know the the people of the diocese, the people of the parishes, uh, the, the who. Who are the leaders of those parishes to consult with them, as well as to get to know our, our priests, our deacons. And um, I, I know that uh, there's such a, my understanding from what I, I have heard and seen is that it's an extremely vibrant church there in western New York and, and Buffalo. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, continuing on that, that work that ha- has been begun. Uh, Will it need to be tweaked? Will we need to, to go and, and look at different things? Uh, probably absolutely, but I think there's there's a lot uh, between A and, 
indeed, you might say, before we start uh, uh, talking about uh, 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 closings and things like that, I think I think we need to see what what uh, what is being done and what is needed. Uh, again, and I don't want to uh, minimize the seriousness. I realize that uh, uh, we we do have limited uh, financial uh, um, resources as, as well as as the uh, the lawsuits. And uh, I, I just want to come up there with an open slate and uh, to try to bring a, a sense of, 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 of hopefulness to the good people there who I know are going to be ready to jump in with me with uh, open arms and, and uh, move forward. Uh, Bishop, uh, you're absolutely right. There is a significant Catholic population here, and I am a Catholic. And I do have questions about how you can restore confidence for me in the church. Uh, there's a very active lay community in the Buffalo Diocese, uh, and I imagine that you'll be meeting with them. Have you uh, learned of this community, this uh, lay organization? It's called the Movement to Restore Trust. Are you aware of them, and will you be meeting with them uh, as one of your first priorities in January? Yes, I am aware of them, and absolutely. Uh, the church, we need the laity, and especially now. We need we need their expertise. We need their. their you know, I'm about openness. I'm I'm about uh, uh, moving ahead with and trying to restore that trust. And the only way we will do that is by being transparent, accountable, and then, uh, as, as I've shared before, I, I really believe in those principles of consultation. And and, uh, and and cooperation and and I and I see groups like that uh, will, will who who I know are anxious to 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 meet with me and to to bring uh, a heart of, of renewal to to the church there. So uh, I don't see how we could move forward without them. Uh, and Bishop, along those same lines, uh, you will obviously have a, a top staff around you. What sort of qualities do you look for uh, in in your top assistants? Uh, what what are those qualities that you seek uh, that perhaps uh, were not achieved over the years here in Buffalo, where there were uh, auxiliary bishops and priests that were complicit allegedly in these lawsuits that are being uh, brought forth? Uh, what do you look for in a top assistant? Well, I look for truthfulness, openness, uh, and uh, those that aren't just going to say yes. You know, I want I want to hear both sides of the story. I want to hear uh, their opinions, and uh, I I, I want to see hard work. You know, those that are committed to the mission of the church. Uh, I and and I and I'm I'm ready to again get in there. And to to meet all of the different people, the, the work that they've been doing, and uh, uh, I, I also feel there needs to be a culture uh, of uh, of openness to the to to the, the the parishes and the pastors. Sometimes there's always been a tension between the what we call it the pastoral center down here, but I guess the, the Catholic center and and the parishes. We, we're, our purpose is for the people of the parish, and, and I think that that attitude is the one that I would look for. You know that we're serving we're serving the, the pastors in the parishes and and the schools 
and the good work, the charities of the uh, of the uh, diocese. And um, that's what I would look in my staff, that they respect the work that's being done uh, outside of the, the, the buildings there. Bishop, uh, you must feel like you're walking into a bit of a hornet's nest, however, with uh, all of the uh, lawsuits that are pending about uh, inappropriate contact, sexual abuse uh, over the years. Now, obviously, you weren't here, but you're now dealing with the consequences of that. Uh, how do you plan on tackling those issues? Well, let me say, throughout my life, I've been stung by four, four uh, hornet's nests, full hornet's nests. So I guess I'm, uh, I'm not going to shy away from that. Um, I, I think we need to certainly cooperate with the... Uh, with the civil uh, authorities. Uh, I, I know much work has already been done in those regards. I, I want to learn more about the details of, of, uh, of, of, those, uh, of those, those situations. But I, I, again, I bring uh, a heart of a pastor uh, to that, and part of that is wanting uh, healing. And uh, so I, I, I hope to, to uh, be a... Uh, a healer in the sense of those who have been harmed by any abuse in the church. Engaged in that, in the ministry of, of, of healing and providing outreach to victims of, of abuse. Bishop, I, I know you, you told uh, Brenda that you will meet with the uh, Committee to Restore Trust. Will you also meet with abuse victims? Yes, uh, if, I'm, if they want to meet with me, I will be open to that, absolutely. Uh, uh, Bishop, uh, I want to dig down a little bit into uh, your, your fundamental beliefs, and we have a, a texter who is asking similar questions about that. Do you uh, consider yourself more progressive, or are you somebody who is more of a fundamentalist uh, on issues like uh, women joining the clergy, uh, abortion, and some of the other hot-button issues that we as Catholics uh, face. Well, I'm I'm I am a ca- I'm a Catholic, a priest. Uh, I I certainly respect and love the teachings uh, of the Church. I, I don't like putting uh, labels on 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 people as well as as myself. I like to to, to think that I'm following the gospel and with with the Lord calls me to I'm um, as a as a priest I'm called to serve you know our, our, we're on the second Sunday of Advent today we are uh, uh, we're called to 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 be like Christ we're called to to take our call to holiness seriously and to to uh, uh, again look at what the Lord is calling us to do the care of our people, the corporal works of mercy, feeding the poor, you know, clothing those. Uh, cl- I, I, that is what I am focused on, and that's what I think the church should be focused on. And I, I do want to ask you one other uh, topic, because let's face it, the church is a business as well, Bishop, and you have a unique background in that with a degree in accounting and uh, business management, I believe. Uh, you worked at a psychiatric center. How does your rather unique business background impact what you do on a day-to-day basis for the church? Well, I think that, and, and also my, I guess, upbringing uh, has given me a great respect for um, uh, the truth, transparency, accountability, 
as an accountant that you're 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 looking uh, uh, to to help businesses do uh, what is ethical. Uh, some do it better better than others. Uh, uh, so a lot of my work uh, as an accountant uh, also I think converted over well into just the way that uh, I've, I've dealt hopefully dealt with the people and that's with respect uh, openness but again through through those those uh, uh, those uh, ways that we we interact with one another consultation communication Bishop, you know, we know how here in Buffalo, um, COVID-19 and, you know, having to stay isolated and social distancing has changed church uh, gatherings here. Uh, down in Washington, D.C., in the Maryland area, how has church service been different over the last nine months, and how have you adapted to it? Well, I, I don't think it's been any different than probably what you all are experiencing up there. We, uh, it, it, it really depends on the... Uh, the, the county or the area that we're in, we have two. Fun, uh, we have Mar- the, the the state of Maryland as well as the uh, District of Columbia, and both have been pretty tight in in their uh, restrictions. Uh, though we have opened up a little more, and, and then we've closed a little more in the past week because of the the spike. Uh, we, um, I think, we're becoming more and more experts at uh, doing things, uh, communicating online and gathering people uh, through, again, uh, the Zoom and, and uh, go to meeting, all of, of those, uh, using those sort of communication platforms to, uh, uh, to minister. But uh, the, we, we also have live streamed in many of our parishes, as well as myself. Here, I live in a parish here, back right across the street from the University of Maryland, and uh, we we uh, we live stream masses uh, out of here uh, and, and try to try to keep in touch with the people that we serve. Though at the same time, I realize it, it's that that's not enough. You know, we we as, as human beings have to have that that uh, personal interaction with with one another. And there's nothing like people coming to mass. And and I know our our, our pastors are, are, are hungering for that. We, we, we want to see uh, our people back in the pews and our, our parishes, our schools, our children in the classrooms. Uh, so we, we've been uh, certainly struggling with, with how do we continue to, to keep in touch uh, through, through our, our ministry uh, during this, this difficult time. And I know it's a challenge when, uh, and and I'm sure when when I get to Buffalo. Bishop, uh, and a big day for you, obviously, January 15th at 2 p.m., you will be installed as the 15th bishop uh, in the Buffalo Diocese. And uh, some uh, heavy hitters are coming into town for you. Uh, Timothy Cardinal Dolan, uh, the Metropolitan Archbishop of New York, will preside. And Archbishop uh, Christoph Peer, Apollosophy, Apostolic, I know I would screw that up, Apostolic Nuncio to the United States will be in attendance. So, Bishop, we wish you well. We welcome you to Buffalo and look forward to talking with you uh, in the new year. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, and God bless you. I'm excited to to be with you and look forward to uh, coming to Buffalo uh, soon. 
It's Bishop Michael Fisher, and uh, Joe and I will be back to talk to Dr. Nancy Nielsen, and she is uh, a member of the lay group Movement to Restore Trust and get her thoughts on Bishop Fisher. Much more to come on Hardline right here on WBEN. Well, it's been a busy Hardline, and the last half hour continues as such. It's Brenda Alacy with you, and Joe Beamer is here as well. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. And uh, we have in this half hour, Dr. Nancy Nielsen will join us. She is with the Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. And uh, we're talking more so about uh, the Buffalo Diocese, though, with Dr. Nielsen, because she has been a uh, member of the lay group. It's the lay Catholic group called the Movement to Restore Trust. And I'm interested in hearing what Dr. Nielsen has to say about the new bishop coming into town and starting in mid-January. And then a little later in this half hour, we'll talk to uh, Hamburg School Superintendent Michael Cornell, who has put forth uh, new guidelines. So uh, very topical, and uh, we certainly welcome your calls and text 716-803-0930. But first, uh, the doctor is in. Dr. Nielsen, welcome to Hardline. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning, or should we say doctor, doctor? I mean, you talk about impressive credentials, MD and PhD. Doctor, uh, you've spent a lot of time in the classroom, I think. I did. I did. <laughs> Great to have you on board. And you're currently at the Jacobs School of Medicine, right? Yes, that's right. That's great. It's so nice of you to join us. Uh, and as I mentioned, we're looking to get your comments uh, about the new bishop and uh, trying to restore uh, the confidence for those of us in the in the Catholic community, like me. Uh, your thoughts, uh, Dr. Nielsen, on Bishop Fisher coming to Buffalo? Well, we didn't know him. Um, we were as surprised as, as he was when he got the call, apparently. Um, we are thrilled that we're having somebody who is young, who, frankly, was appointed by Pope Francis, who, who seems to like to, to elevate to bishops people who are more pastoral, not career-oriented. Uh, so uh, we are, we are uh, willing and, and happy to work with him. And, and uh, as he asked in his first news conference, he said, give me a chance. And he understands the situation here, probably not in the detail that he will before long. And he is walking into a hornet's nest. I mean, you, you, you all mentioned it. Um, I was interested in his interview with you that he said he's had, he, he's had four hornet's nests in his life. I don't know if those were 
actual hornets or crises in the Archdiocese of Washington. Um, but that that was an interesting comment. And he said he doesn't shy away from that. Well, I think uh, that would absolutely be a prerequisite, uh, Doctor, because uh, this is a unique situation. And in today's Buffalo News, there's uh, more allegations about how the diocese failed to act on warnings um, about priests for decades. And uh, the attention was even brought uh, to the diocese from a Buffalo police officer. So very difficult circumstances. Uh, Tell us uh, a little about the purpose of your organization, the Movement to Restore Trust. Uh, what, what are your objectives? How did it get formed? And, and what role do you play specifically? Well, I'm, I'm one uh, of, of a few people who, were, who began this group because, you know, we kept seeing the, the revelations day after day after day in the media, some of them about priests that we knew and it was horrifying, and, and the, just this death by a thousand cuts, so demoralizing, and and so so anger provoking, that that church leaders seem to be more interested in preventing scandal to the church than in the irreparable damage that was being done to children. And I think some of it was was a misunderstanding of whether people uh, were able to be rehabilitated, but it w- it's outrageous, it's unacceptable, it cannot continue. And, and so the, the people who came together um, several years ago in the midst of all of this said, you know, we, what do we want to do? I mean, we can't, we can't change who the leadership is in our diocese, but we can come together as Catholics who care very much about our faith and say, this is what we need and this must never happen again. So it was to try to find a path forward. And that is, that is, has always been the mission. And uh, that's what we continue to do. And about a year ago, you may be interested in this, the the Movement to Restore Trust held a symposium at Canisius College, and there were hundreds of people who attended in person and virtually. And what we did is we did this interesting electronic exercise where we were able to vote on our phone with what are the qualities we wanted in a new bishop. And Boy, I am really happy with what I've seen so far with with Bishop Mike. First, the fact that he calls himself Bishop Mike, I think, is a, is a real start. But the qualities that came up front and center a year ago were we wanted somebody transparent, honest, humble, pastoral, collaborative, and I think you heard that from him this morning. Uh, Dr. Nielsen, I, I know Bishop Ed was a interim bishop, uh, but has he done any work with you guys, and how have you felt about Bishop Ed's time with uh, the Buffalo Diocese? Uh, bishop Ed's been great, actually. Uh, yes, yes, he actually came to that symposium. He had just been appointed um, ap- our apostolic administrator. And so he came to the symposium I was talking about. So he sat there in the audience and saw this, and he spoke very movingly. He also embraced uh, one of the victims who was invited to speak. I, I, you know, Bishop Ed has actually been great. And, um, it, you know, we knew because of his age that he probably wouldn't be moved here to Buffalo. 
and um, and so we were, you know, that was fine. We understood that, but he's been good, and he he has been real clear that anything that comes anymore will be turned over to civil authorities right away, and there will be collaboration. Well, that probably takes a little bit of the pressure off of the new bishop, right, Dr. Nielsen? There's been a, a standard set by Bishop Ed. Well, I think it helps. I, I, I really do. Bishop Ed wasn't, was not afraid to say what needed to be done. Uh, bishop Mike recognizes that trust has been broken, and in order to restore it, it depends on how he behaves. And, and everybody knows that. But there's some, there's some simple things. I mean, let's just go back to the fact that the guy's lived in, in Baltimore and D.C. area his whole life. He probably doesn't have a winter coat. Uh, I was blown from the med school to, to D.C. and Baltimore for two years, and, and the most I ever wore was a, a light jacket. So we're going to have to get him boots and a parka and get him settled in here. So. <laughs> it's funny you say that because when he said, I have to get uh, uh, boots on the ground, I'm thinking you better make sure that they're winter boots. But you got that right, Brenda. For sure. Dr. Nielsen, um, do you speak to any of the sexual abuse survivors as part of your role, either as a, a physician or perhaps part of the movement to restore trust? Because you revealed your own abuse. It was a very emotional thing you review, uh, revealed. And you said that it had been 50 years that you kept it under wraps. Uh, does that uh, make you inclined to speak to others who have been victims of, abu- of abuse? I have I have met a, a number of victims. I, I did, there's no formal um encounter. Uh, that's not my role. Um, that is something that, that Bishop Mike needs to do because, you, you know, people who have been victimized realize how very difficult it is to talk about. And my situation was so minor compared to what happened to many of these people. And my abuser, by the way, was not a priest. It was a, it was a nun. Uh, so I, it just... It, it helps me understand, and I've learned a lot through my medical practice. I've learned a great deal about sexuality uh, from my patients, and, and it has made me more open to what people have experienced and also to the, the vagaries of, of human nature, which, which sometimes lead people to do horrific things. Indeed. Uh, Doctor, if we could just switch gears for a moment. Um... How do you think, uh, if you don't mind me asking about COVID, uh, what do you think will happen with this surge post-Thanksgiving? Are you uh, among those who believe that the worst is yet to come as we get into uh, mid-December? Oh, absolutely. I I think, you know, here's what happens. People get exposed, and then uh, about within two weeks, you'll begin to see the cases go up. And then about two weeks after that, the hospitalizations go up. And then two to three weeks after that, you see um, the very serious people on ventilators uh, and the deaths go up. So we are not through this yet by any means. And the fact that everybody's indoors now with the weather getting colder um, and, and with the holiday seasons, gosh, you know, we're in for it. So I think the the actions of of the state of New York to to ask hospitals to stop elective 
surgeries in hospitals, not in ambulatory care centers, but in in uh, in hospitals to make sure that we have the personnel to treat patients. And that's the issue. I mean, you can create a field hospital in the convention center, but who's going to staff it? That's the problem. So we really have to keep our healthcare workers safe. We have to try as best we can to protect our elderly in congregate settings like nursing homes, which have been hit terribly hard. So yes, we're in for it. But the hope is, hope is absolutely on the way. I mean, as Dr. Fauci says, the cavalry's coming. The vaccines are probably going to be approved within the two vaccines will probably be approved within the next several weeks, and then um, and and then help will be coming. Uh, I apologize if this question is a little too far off the track, but you know we do have therapeutics that we didn't have in spring, I I believe, um, and but I know we have the hospitalization rates are even higher than they were in spring. With these therapeutics, should people be having less of a stay in the hospital, or does it just not work that way? Well, it, Joe, it does work that way. Actually, the the length of stay uh, has gone down, and that's because a whole bunch of things have happened. Um, if you remember when President Trump was hospitalized at Walter Reed, he got mon- monoclonal antibodies right away. That is uh, that is now available. Um, I, I believe that's on a research basis. We have remdesivir that shortens the length of stay of the hospitalizations. And we have dexamethasone, which is a drug that's been around forever and is cheap. And if we know how to use that now, and that's the one that has clearly reduced the mortality. But people shouldn't get sanguine from that. This is a bad, bad disease. And somewhere between 30 and 40% of people who get it, no matter what their age, have long-term symptoms like what they term as brain fog, um, difficulty concentrating, extreme fatigue. This is not a simple disease. You saw that one of the Buffalo Bills is out for the season with myocarditis that happened after uh, his diagnosis of COVID. So, So don't take this lightly even though we can help and certainly are saving people that might have died otherwise. What will really save people is if we wear masks and don't socialize outside of our environment as much as possible. Doctor, uh, one last question, and it did uh, regard masks. Uh, There are still a lot of anti-maskers out there, and last night I couldn't help but shudder looking at uh, President Trump's rally in Valdosta, Georgia, with thousands of people, many of whom were not wearing masks and were shoulder to shoulder. Uh, what's your reaction when you see something like that? Well, it's sadness, actually. It's not anger. It's just sadness because I know what's going to happen. And we've seen it. We've seen it with some of the, the congregations that got together at the White House and the outbreaks that followed. For example, the uh, the announcement of Amy Comey Barrett. We saw a number of people get infected after that. It's just so sad and so disrespectful to other people. This is not a political issue. This is a damn virus. That's the enemy, not each other. Well said. Dr. Nancy Nielsen, who is with the UB School of Medicine, uh, thank you so much for your time and comments on both the, uh, the church and COVID. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. You too. Stay safe. Joe? 
And we will now go to Superintendent of Hamburg Schools, Michael Cornell, joining us here on Hardline. Mike, good afternoon, or good morning, actually. It's still 13 minutes till afternoon. Yeah, still morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Brenda. Uh, we, um, we see this push now from medical experts from even those in government about getting back to school. You guys released a statement on Friday about testing um, as a result of the of what's in place right now when it comes to testing in an orange or red zone. Uh, Hamburg schools will be fully remote until at least December 11th. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so we're, uh, we applaud the governor and the New York State Department of Health for listening to the consensus of school superintendents, not just here in Western New York, but across the state, and listening to the data, both of which strongly suggest that schools are, are safe. Uh, vir- virus transmission is far lower in schools than in other settings. Uh, school-age children need to be in school. Um, you know, we know the social-emotional effects associated with, with long-term absence from school uh, are significant and um, we're, we're, we're grateful that the new testing requirements seem to be a much more sustainable um, and feasible way to uh, achieve the goals of the microcluster, which is to monitor the spread or containment of the disease in a microcluster zone. Uh, Superintendent, uh, you recently tweeted uh, a quote, it was a retweet, retweet about the key to success is often the ability to adapt. And Boy, I'll tell you, if anything, you've had to adapt uh, from day one since this virus has become so dominant in all of our lives. Uh, What has been the biggest adjustment? Is it dealing just with the the particular grade levels and, and, you know, doing this virtually? Is it trying to deal with the faculty and making it work for them? What has been your biggest challenge thus far? Gosh, you know, that's a really good question. We started the year a couple of years ago with a conversation about uh, an acronym called VUCA, which is uh, volatility, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And the fact that as the world continues to modernize, our modern learners, our students, need to be taught in a way that allows them to accommodate a world that's increasingly dominated by volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And that was a year and a half before COVID. So, you know, a part of the conversation is, well, how do you deal with that? And you deal with that by being creative, uh, by thinking critically about the circumstances that are at hand, by collaborating and communicating regularly with your partners. And, and that's the thing that I think has been most important is the collaboration among uh, all of us in the district, you know, our partners in leadership, uh, the school board, our bargaining units have been amazing partners, the teachers union, the administrators, and all the people who represent our employees have been great partners in leadership for us. Um, and just the regular conversation that we have in our schools, our principals have done a great job of communicating with their staff and with their parents. Uh, families have been really great about communicating back with us about the particular circumstances that they're experiencing that are COVID-related. Uh, we have lots of families who have experienced economic dislocation and hardship that we communicate with to see what we can do to support them. Uh, we work with, with groups like, like uh, Feed, Feed Hamburg and Feed More Western New York to see how we can distribute food more efficiently to families. So, you know, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of those things that we do to try to accommodate the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity that comes at everybody just so fast, and it's consuming. 
I think that might be the biggest challenge is the all-consuming nature of the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. I mean, you just can't get away from it. It's been eight long months. we got a few more to go, and that's probably the most challenging piece of it is the all-consuming nature of it for people. You, you turn on the news, you turn on the radio, you talk to your neighbor, um, and that's all there is to talk about. But uh, God bless the, the resilience of our local Hamburg community. We have amazing people in Hamburg, and, and God bless the resilient nature of the people of Western New York for being able to power through. Are you uh, looking at, at the vaccines as a glimmer of hope? There's light at the end of the tunnel because it's so all-consuming. At least there's something to look forward to that seems to uh, to be an actual. Uh, I, I I don't want to use the word cure, but it's an actual uh, aid for those of us who are dealing with fear of the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean there are all kinds of glimmers of hope out there. Whether it's the uh, the distribution of, of the vaccine, obviously, the, the timing and the mechanics of the distribution of the va- that vaccine, there's a lot yet to be determined. I heard your earlier guest talk about the various therapeutics that are being used in and out of the hospital setting that have the ability to uh, help mitigate some of the worst of the symptoms associated with COVID. Um, you know, one of the things that we take great uh, pride in, in, in the Hamburg schools and in school districts all across New York State is the fact that it, schools are, are one of the places where you can be assured that the mitigation strategies that we know work will be used. You know, you walk in any of our schools, you won't see anybody without a mask. You'll see everybody keeping their distance. You'll see people practicing uh, really good hand and respiratory hygiene. We monitor for symptoms. And now with the addition of the orange zone testing program, um, we feel really that that's a source of optimism for us is that we feel empowered uh, to keep people safe in the school setting. I mean, Mike, if you want to not talk COVID for the next six minutes, I could rift on the Virginia Tech coaching staff. <laughs> Maybe another time, Joe. <laughs> um, now, I have to make sure I was ready for that. I'd want to be an informed partner in that conversation. I'm actually. <laughs> Maybe maybe next Sunday we could do that. Sounds good. I'll, I'll mark you down. Um, Trust me, it won't be all-consuming, Mike. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, now, the, the release says at least through December 11th, um, and I, I mean, I know you guys want to get back in school as soon as possible, but do you think there's a realistic chance that you guys will be back in school by January 4th? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of conversation to be had about that, Joe. Uh, I, I was before I hopped on with you guys. I was meeting with my executive leadership team. Uh, we talk and meet all the time. Uh, superintendents across Erie County have been meeting formally and informally. We met Wednesday. We met Friday. Some of us met yesterday. Um, so there's a lot of conversation that's taking place around exactly what this updated guidance means for a return to hybrid uh, learning in school districts. So. Uh, we're going to work really hard at um, at that conversation regionally and with my team in Hamburg. And, you know, I know people want to know um, when their kids can come back to school. There's a lot of energy in West New York around getting kids back into school. So um, that conversation will happen again tomorrow, and, and, and we hope to have uh, something to say about that thereafter. Mike, I was looking at uh, your website, and uh, the number really uh, blew me away. That I, I, it was something about how um, the teachers in your district have created nearly 1,500 Google Classrooms in the cloud for the students. 
and uh, you've had to uh, accommodate those kids with iPads and Chromebooks. Uh, do you think in some way that once there are there is some degree of normalcy again, that some of these uh, techniques will continue to be used? I, I think so. I mean, first and foremost, a great credit to the educators in Hamburg. I have great people in Hamburg, um, you know, that I'm honored to work beside every day. And educators across Western New York and across the state have really answered the call um, to adapt their their teaching practices to the circumstances that we have before us today. And, you know, we're all lifelong learners as, as educators, not just about the learning of, of children, but it's also about the learning of the adults. And I think that we've all, I mean, you know, myself included as an educator, you know, there's a lot that we've been forced to learn over the last eight months that I think will carry forward. But I think it's important to note that while the technology is, we've been found different ways to employ technology in the uh, pursuit of learning for children, um, you know, being able to include them into really high quality in-person instruction is where the power is. Um, so once we get back to normal and we have all of our kids in front of us, I think it's, uh, I think, I think it's right to think that there will be, um, some of these innovations will be around to stay in support of in-person learning for children. Yeah, I'd like to think that some of the, uh, the pain and stress that we've all been through will result in some good things happening, that we've been able to glean good things and good practices from this. But, Mike, can you imagine, you know, Joe and I have talked about this on previous shows, what if this technology did not exist? How in the, in the wide, wide world of uh, COVID would we ever adapt it's hard to know. Like I can't, I can't imagine how how we would have done it otherwise. Um, you know, but thank goodness we we have the technology that we can use, and we have the dedicated educators who are putting in place. and And I, I say it all the time, and I'll say it again this morning. Uh, we're very grateful to the partnership of parents. I mean, we have to remember the burden that this puts on families, and it's not just the parents; it's aunts and uncles and neighbors and grandparents and everybody else. Um, who is helping support kids at home because many of our families still have to work too. So, um, you know, none of this, you know, the, you know there, there are, it, there's no one thing that's gotten us through this. It's a, it's a, a mosaic of effort um, and, and a variety of tools that's gotten, it, gotten us through. And we're very lucky, not just for the efforts of our, of our educators, and obviously our students have been able to adapt to the, to the new now, but our families have been absolutely essential components to supporting children and communicating with schools about uh, the things that are going well, which is a lot, and the things that aren't going well, which is we know every child is different, every family's circumstance is different. We need to do our best to uh, accommodate their needs. But, um, you know, we're fortunate for all those things, not just the technology. Well, Michael, we uh, we. Thank you for joining us with such uh, late notice. Hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon about getting kids back into school. I know that's what everyone wants to see, obviously, safely back into school. We hope you have a good weekend. Go Bills. Okay. Good to talk to you guys. Have a good day. Thanks so much, Michael. Hamburg School Superintendent Michael Cornell joining us here on Hardline. Brenda, I have to say, I think that was one of the most packed episodes of Hardline we have done together, and we added two last-minute guests. Yeah, it's uh, it's good that we can audible just like Josh Allen does, Joe. And and if anybody wants to hear 
the entire show or portions of the show. It will be available at radio.com on our podcast. That's right, the radio.com app at wben.com too for some of you who still have a desktop computer. You can find it that way. Brenda, I hope you have a good week. Hope you enjoy the Monday night game tomorrow. Looking forward to it. I already have my Bills sweatshirt on. I can't wait to uh, to see the Bills, and let's hope it's a much better outcome in the uh, Arizona <laughs> desert than it was the last time they were there. Well, let's hope this last week they've worked on defending Hail Marys because the last <laughs> two games they've, they've let some uh, Hail Mary catches happen. Unbelievable that it almost happened again. But, uh, yeah, I think they've, uh, they've certainly focused on that because there's been enough attention on that. But looking, it's nice to have something to look forward to on a Monday night. I do miss the Sabres games. Oh, yes. uh, so I'm glad uh, that we have the Bills to look forward to tomorrow and that they're on the national stage again. That's right. Which is always good. So let's hope they don't embarrass themselves. On ESPN, and for those of you who cut the cord, it's also on ABC. Brenda and I will be back here on next Sunday. Tomorrow, Susan Rose with a new morning with Brian Mazarowski, David Bellavia at 9, and Tom Bowerly is back at 3 o'clock. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a great Sunday afternoon, everyone. This is WBEN Buffalo. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t